the main reason we wanted to have Naya on the show today is because the industry, society, and just humanity seems to be turning a huge important, at least we hope that it has long-term importance, a corner. And in the space industry, a few weeks ago, NASA launched humans on a privately built spacecraft for the first time. It's a, a turning point for an industry that has been looking for ways to continue exploring space for a cheaper price. And remember, this stuff is paid by the taxpayer. So expensive programs like the shuttle and the Saturn V had to evolve into much more manageable costing programs. In the backdrop of what the space industry was doing, what SpaceX and what NASA was doing, America was in an uprising because, again, a Black American was murdered by a overreaching police department. And cops have a long recorded history of brutalizing Black Americans. And we have to be blunt about that and be candid about that. And we are finally, as an entire society, fighting against it. And we are out in the streets. We are shouting. We are trying to be heard. And I think that it is a really important time that we see things like the space industry and other parts of society through the lens of Black Americans. So Naya, thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Naya, tell us a little bit about why you like space exploration. What drew you to it? Absolutely. I definitely get a little sentimental there just because space exploration for me has always been about how small we are in the scope of the universe and and just how, I guess, in, intriguing things are beyond what we know here on Earth. And one of the biggest factors and one of the things that inspires me the most and keeps me driven about space is that I do believe it can unify us as a human race. And that's one of the very cliche futures that I look forward to. And I, and I try to do my best to create, well, help to curate an inclusive space community with my voice and my platform, because I do believe that's something that the entire world has in common and that we should all be involved when we start making decisions on how we want to, I guess, explore space and explore, you know, the universe. <laughs> now, Naya, tell us a little bit specifically about what you're studying because space is so broad. I know that you're working on your PhD right now, Georgia Tech. It's going to be a PhD in aerospace engineering. But right. what is your thing? Because all space fans, all space professionals, especially, they have their thing. What's your thing? My thing is electric propulsion. <laughs> okay. I'll give a little bit of background on what it is. It's, it's basically, it's, it's rocket propulsion, except instead of chemical combustion being the way that you create thrust, we create thrust using ionized particles or ionized gas. And so this is not the type of propulsion that, that you see, you know, SpaceX launch their rockets into space with. This is actually a propulsion that is only used in the vacuum of space. The big draw is that it's it's very, very efficient. And it's it's my belief that electric propulsion will be the technology that gets us to deep space. Now, let's talk a little bit about this, because every time we talk about something space exploration related, mm -hmm. it does sound like science fiction, which gets me really <laughs> excited. Now, yes. electric propulsion, like for a vehicle that's already in space from getting point A to point B already in the vacuum. Exactly. Now, when you're saying deep space, you don't mean the moon and Mars. You mean a little bit further. 
Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Deep space is, is anything past what, we are, what we've already explored. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, very optimistic when it comes to deep space. I believe that humans at some point, maybe not in my lifetime, will get past our galaxy and, and beyond that. And so I know that electric propulsion, the reason why you cannot use it in, on, in our atmosphere is because it doesn't generate a lot of thrust. It actually generates only a few millinewtons of thrust. Right. And a give f- some a small fraction of what fuel burning. Exactly. Right. Exactly. A very, very small fraction. And my favorite analogy is the thrust created by electric propulsion technology is equivalent to the amount of force it takes you to hold up a single sheet of paper. So, (laughs) yeah, if you can kind of imagine how much, you know, that's going to be a long ass trip. (laughs) What you're saying right now, if we have to do it. Yeah. Exactly. And and that's kind of one of the the drawbacks of electric propulsion. You have to, it it needs to be a very long mission life that you're looking at. But again, if you're in space and you have nothing pushing up against you, like air drag and, and friction, you can accumulate to extremely high speeds over time. And so that is how I see us getting to deep space. Now, there's so many places we can go if this technology was worked on and advanced on over the next 50 years, next century. Mm -hmm. And you said, you know, it's something that potentially is beyond our lifetimes. But if you could go anywhere right now, (laughs) where would you go? Because I was watching your TikTok the other day. um, Yes, you were on the lunar surface. Yes. (laughs) And you had a, was it Malibu? Yes, it was. Yes, my it was Malibu. Okay, because if I was going to hang out with aliens, I'd probably bring alcohol too. Right. But what's your dream destination? That's a great question. You'd probably think it's it's pretty limited considering my my draw for a deep space. But right. I'm actually obsessed with the moon. That's okay. actually so you I want to. Yeah. Yes, okay. <laughs> that's where I'm trying to head to. And can I just say that like that is such a real and incredible possibility. for you because of just where the industry is going right now. We were just discussing this, this turning point. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about also, because you're someone who is about to enter the workforce in full force very soon. Yes. And you are going to be looking at that career path. That's going to lead you off world, which is such an exciting thing. And what is it about the moon? Now I know a lot of people have their reasons. There's resources, there's, there's the idea that we should have been there already. What is what is your driving force to get to? That's a great question. And it is not rooted in any technicality or anything <laughs> that has to do with science. It's really just I've always been infatuated yeah. with the moon. Right. It's an uh, exploration. Do you think it's more driven by the desire to see the beyond, the desire to explore? Absolutely, exactly. The just the desire to um, and also just kind of curiosity. I feel like space is so enigmatic and there's so many things out there that that's left to discover. Right. And so that's personally my draw. I'm just, I'm one of those people who wants to know about everything. And so space is just like, it's like being a kid in the candy shop. There's so many things to explore out there. That is such a good way of putting it because uh, I tried to (laughs) say it earlier and I couldn't articulate it. Um, (laughs) saying that there's so many things to talk about when you're talking about space exploration, literally a million things, but being a kid in a candy shop is definitely something I'll be stealing for a future episode. So thank (laughs) you. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) But let's talk about being a PhD student in aerospace. Obviously, I I don't know if it's obvious to the rest of the world or to our fans, but the space community is very small, very tight knit. We all know each other. 
let's talk about visibility and let's mm. talk about what that creates for a path ahead of someone who is a person of color in an obviously white dominated industry. So tell me first and foremost, did you see yourself in the space industry before you came to the community? Was there enough visibility? Oh, no, actually. And, and I, I always have kind of trouble explaining this because visibility, I won't say there was. My only, my only role model when it came to this growing up was Mae Jemison. Okay. And I, had, I was actually very lucky to kind of stumble upon her when I did. She was just on a wall at my church when I was like in elementary school. And they had like a little a feature about her plastered on our gym wall. And that was my, <laughs> that was kind of my end. That was the first time I'd seen anybody look like me doing something as grand as, as space exploration and being an astronaut. Right. But that actually wasn't where I started. Like, that's not where my love for space started, actually, which is interesting because my parents always say they have no idea where it came from. <laughs> like, my love for science space because you know, my mom's in marketing and kind of entrepreneurship and my dad's more of like in catering and he cooks and he's got his own businesses too. And so they have no idea where it came from. I, I had to do a lot of visualization and just kind of imagining myself in those shoes, right. which took a lot of imagination. And I think that's something that I feel very lucky to have had because I won't say I didn't need any visible role models. I definitely, I can't imagine where I'd be if I did have them, you know, but luckily that wasn't a barrier to entry for me. And I know for a lot of students or other kids out there that do look like me, they do need that role model because, you know, society and it just, there's so many things that you can internalize about yourself from society that can make you rule yourself out before you even give yourself the chance. And and that's essentially why the visibility is so important. Exactly. Exactly. Because so. if you don't see yourself in the visual, that's the, f the first thing we know about anything is what our eyes can see, <laughs> you know? And I feel like being a young man or woman, especially a person of color, you definitely, and you know, some folk, people of color are first generation, second generation. Right. And even a third generation, you're still looking to see yourself in the place that you want to be before you get there. That exactly. is a basic human feeling. That is something we all experience. And right. I think that some folks would look at the space industry and say, well, you know, it kind of matches up to American society, but it's so much more complex than that. It is. Because when you get to the industry itself, there is a hierarchy in the industry that I'm sorry to say does have roots in institutional racism, no matter how much far these companies go to increase diversity programs. And some of them are doing well and, and right. pushing that forward. And we are going to acknowledge that. But sure. some of these companies have existed for decades and have existed for and during a time in this country, some of the darkest times in this country you know, a hundred yeah. years or whatever, 50 years. And before every one of us had rights on paper, let's say on paper, because yes. it's clear that even though <laughs> our rights are said, they're not acted on. You know what I mean? I feel like some of these companies and some of the organizations are deeply rooted in places that don't accept people of color as they mm -hmm. accept white people. And we have to acknowledge that. And I think that the space industry needs just like every other industry has to have a reckoning at some point. Right. 
Absolutely. And it's, and I think that's kind of why I'm so happy. And I've been very encouraged to see so many, you know, different science communicators being very vocal about this, because I think the issue, the reason why this reckoning has been hindered, or one of the big reasons is even for those who don't identify as quote unquote racist, they will still, you know, not encourage the conversation because they think it's political or they think it's identity politics or, you know, something that does not belong in STEM or or in science conversations. And I think that is so, so just wrong. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad that's finally being challenged and people are actually taking action behind their words. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree. I was reading a report in the New York Times the other day about colleges and, and educational institutions now facing the music when it comes to the racism they've been harboring at their colleges and universities and, and schools. And as a PhD student, as someone who's come up a few years throughout the education system, what kind of challenges have you faced, even in relation to aerospace? Sure. I would definitely say in academia and like I've, I've attended various schools before, but I've definitely faced, you know, having to tr- trying to report, you know, a professor in a case and being told I was not exaggerating verbatim, but basically thinking too hard about it, mm-hmm. you know. And so the, I've, I've experienced reporting systems that are just not friendly to the person who's reporting. And I think that is a huge issue <laughs> because let me just say real quick, we had these conversations the, about the first yeah. defense that people use against something like this is that you're overreacting. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. That's the first thing right. that they well, say I, is overreacting. Exactly. And it's so detrimental because as a black student and not wanting to be the person who is always talking about race or always quote unquote, pulling the race card, you start to kind of gaslight yourself and then you don't, you don't move forward with like reporting, you know, you know, a microaggression or something like that. And so I've definitely dealt with the reporting system. And I think that that needs a complete overhaul from, and I've reported from sexual harassment to racial, you know, issues and racial harassment and microaggressions. And every time I have not felt supported like at all. And I felt borderline accused too. So that's, that's one thing I, I truly have an issue with. I know that most of the institutions I'm familiar with, and I'm speaking in and outside of university because there are also organizations like national organizations that I think needed an overhaul as well. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And so I think that is one of the things that, that I've taken away as far as like what action needs to be done immediately, because whenever you talk about supporting students of color and especially black students in academia, people tell you, talk to somebody. But if there's no one you trust to talk to, or, you know, you're retaliated against, then you only tend to make the situation worse for yourself. So that's, that's just one microcosm (laughs) of my experience in academia. Right. And the thing with microaggressions is sometimes you, you talked about gaslighting yourself and like, that's one thing I think we typically ignore many of the microaggressions because half of us is like, well, that's definitely real. And the other half is like, did I imagine that? Am I just angry? Because that's the other thing they say. First, they say you're overreacting. And then they say you're angry all the time. Exactly. Yeah, I'm angry all the time. Like, (laughs) yes, yes. So, yes, I get that. I I had an experience recently where we've been having a lot of issues 
the journalists have been having a lot of issues with getting credentials and maintaining our press access in the space wow. industry. And, you know, we, we've, it caused a lot of infighting and caused a lot of arguing in the industry and community itself. And this problem has not been solved at all. This is just something that has to wait for a while. Yeah. I, and I just remember like one of my colleagues was like, dude, you seem angry. And I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, 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 I'm angry. I don't see why that's a a negative thing. Like, yes, the situation is shitty. I'm going to be angry. So anyway, that's, you know, that's something that I've heard multiple times in the industry. So I wanted to go back a little bit to visibility and talk about astronauts. I think it was, was it Kale Robinson? She, uh, the infographics. Yeah, she did an incredible job with that. A young woman named Kat Robinson did uh, these infographics talking about black astronauts and how many there have been. Obviously not enough, very little compared to the white demographic. Do you think you'll face more challenges trying to become an astronaut? Or do you think that, you know, this unrest and this us finally taking action as a country will have any impact on your equality when you apply to NASA's astronaut class? That's a great question. That's something I have kind of thought about, but because I'm I'm only so familiar with the process of applying and becoming an astronaut right. that I'm not sure how much, you know, me being very vocal about certain things, how that affects things. But what I've been super heartened to see is like other black astronauts speaking up. Right. And and I know that's hard because, you know, they're seen they're seen as American heroes and and they have to wear the American flag, mm-hmm. you know, on their suits. And and obviously they have a lot of support from white people, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but only in, in the lane as an astronaut and not also as a black American, because I've already seen Victor Glover speak out and was challenged by a few of his followers. I saw that, too. Right. And I'm like, this guy is he's already in there, you know, and he's mm-hmm. already challenge (laughs) about his experience he's not even speaking on facts or or whatever he's just speaking on his experience and so that's been super encouraging to see it's made me feel a lot more at ease that you think you can be outspoken right exactly and and my thing is like at what point are we just kind of like labeling this as out like right Right. why is it why is it labeled outspoken because it should, should just be spoken Exactly. It almost sounds like calling it outspoken and calling it as like, what do you call it? Extreme is labeling it other than anything (laughs) other than normal speaking is something that probably works against us. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And so that's something that like I do want to challenge because it's not I don't know this sort of thing in science. They're not mutually exclusive like they you have to have these discussions. And so as far as becoming an astronaut and how it affected, it, I know that I'm sure NASA knows that, you know, the discrepancies with the amount of black astronauts they've been versus white and and others. And my hope is that, you know, this reckoning reckoning will cause all institutions, all organizations and companies to truly look inward and not just, you know, do the whole performative allyship because- If, if this is true, what it should look like in a few years is there should be a lot more representation across the board, you know, in, in every organization, right. <laughs> <laughs> at least like five years from now, like we should see black boards and, and black board of directors and et cetera. And so my hope is that, you know, you would see an uptick of 
black astronauts because I think the excuse that black people just don't want to be astronauts or they're not applying is very tired and we know that's not the truth. Right. Because on Twitter alone, you see so many aspiring black astronauts and, and just different people who clearly have, you know, the desire. They're probably just, they just don't have the resources or they just don't trying to find the correct words there. Well, yeah, I mean, ultimately what I would say, Naya, is that accessibility to space exploration is directly tied to the visibility and just the institutions themselves, like NASA, who need to correct. I mean, I I have to be obvious, like, and I think it's obvious that there needs to be a correction and they're hiring and they're the hierarchy within NASA because... Yes, there have been a black NASA administrator, Charles Bolden, a legendary astronaut under Obama. Right. You know, and it's like we need to we need black administrators under white presidents as well. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like we can't wait for a black leader to appoint other black leaders. That's right. And I I just I, I think that is where you look for institutional racism. And right now we're talking about the space industry. But I have to say that media the media world, I work at the intersection of both worlds. Right. And I would say that the space industry is on the right path. Mm -hmm. I would say media is a hundred years behind Mm. because it's, I think the media world, I can't come up with a harsh enough word for it, but there is absolutely no voice for people of color in the media industry. None comparatively and relatively because it's so overwhelmingly white and not only is there a racial disparity, the other disparity is in, you know, in in wealth. It's a wealth disparity in media world because you have to be rich to get a job in media. You have to go to a good university. You have to, they pay journalists so little that you have to be rich and white to have a job here. That makes so much sense. You know what I mean? And like, of course the, the journalist who doesn't have to worry about money can just work at their own pace and work and do whatever. They don't have any other responsibilities because they're rich. And when you're making, when you come from a poorer family or a low income family that your, your parents, you know, they they make middle, you know, middle income or whatever, you are not going to have the resources or the safety net to be a journalist. Exactly. And most journalists have safety nets. You know what I mean? And I just feel like the world that is built, the institution of media, especially in America, it does not. I mean, I am a person of color, space journalist. There's maybe two, one or two others. Wow. So these things need to be said out loud now. Um, and, And I think one of the biggest problems in the media world that I don't see in the aerospace world is that in the media world, the pay between a white person and a person of color is staggeringly different. Really? Yes. Staggeringly. Now I worked at wired magazine. I was doing scoops and exclusives and I was in the field reporting at Kennedy. You know what they paid me per article? $300, no expenses. I found out later that my white colleagues were making more than me. Wow. And that's the case with almost every place that I've worked, except the current place that I've And I worked at Disney. I felt like I was treated fairly there because it's a progressive company. Obviously, I'm happy right now. I feel like I have a voice and I work at a great company. What I faced as a person of color in media is nothing to what black people face in media. 
And let mm. me tell you, so I was just complaining about myself, but let me tell you, black people in media have it worse, worse. Kind of yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, and it's so painful to see, watch the media talk about this, knowing that they're the first ones that need to start changing too. Exactly. You know what I mean? And so going back to the space industry, I'm using the media industry as a worst case. And I think the space industry is one of the better cases. I can't speak to Silicon Valley. I can't even really speak to Hollywood, but, but I can speak to space and I can speak to media. And I say that the space industry has been trying even before this, what I call the American spring these last few months. I think that they're Lockheed Martin, SpaceX, they Virgin Orbit, Virgin Galactic, They've been, you know, at least internally or externally vocal about Black Lives Matter and their support for it and their acknowledgement of police brutality against people of color. But I think that it has to go beyond words. It has to go beyond saying you're going to do something. There needs to be a dramatic input to make change in this industry. And why? Why, Naya? Because like, when I think of life in the future in space on the moon and on the Mars, on the right. Mars, because it's a, <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. On the no Mars, <laughs> let's be frank. We don't want to build the same bullshit we built here, right? No. Because Absolutely. like, why are we even going if we're are we going to be racist on Mars too? Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the it's way like, is, aren't, yeah. aren't, isn't everyone tired yes. of this? And, and I've always, uh, the reason I came to work in space exploration, I thought this was an industry and community that was progressive. Right. I automatically assumed it was progressive. I was wrong. And I learned, <laughs> that, I learned that during the 2016 election. I learned that. And wow. I continue to learn it after the election when the first time I realized things had changed was when I showed up for my first mission at Kennedy Space Center. Mm. And all the international flags were torn down. What? Yeah, they tore in the press site at the media center, like where everyone gathers for big missions, flagship missions. They used to hang, I think it was the countries, all the countries involved in the International Space Station, all their flags, full size flags, hung side by side of each other from the roof of the press site. And it was really iconic and beautiful. Right. And right after the inauguration, they were pulled down. Wow. Yeah. That was the beginning of it, you know? And like, there have I faced, I, I want to say I'm lucky. Like, I won a lottery. Right. I haven't faced any real racism at Kennedy Space Center. I've overheard things. But like, everyone, everyone that like I suspected of being a racist or anyone who did something that could have been perceived as racist, they were eventually gone. Like, yeah. after a couple weeks or a month or... If I over, overheard something bad from someone or saw someone engage in behavior that was racist or sexist, mm-hmm. and I did report a couple of people, but those people got reported by others as well. Nice. And they all oh. got, they all got, you know, there was an instance in the press site, one of my first times there, where someone said they got one of those like calls, you know, trying to sell you something over the phone, but it was like an international person. And one oh. somebody at the press site said, oh, it was probably an Indian dude, a terrorist or something. And oh an earshot of me. Whoa. An earshot of me. And like two people looked over at me because they knew that I heard it. Right. And one guy came up to me later 
and talked to me about it. Like an older white dude came over to me and talked to me about it. He's like, listen, man, like I was standing next to that person that said it, but what that person said was wrong. And like, I felt better after that guy came and talked to me, but, and I didn't really like say anything, but I'm pretty sure somebody else reported that guy and like he was gone, you know? And there was, yeah, there was one instance where I showed up for a clean room visit of a spacecraft where you have to suit up and like, you know, like you have to sanitize and stuff before you go in. And this young woman took away my recorder, my camera, my pen and my paper, which was crazy because I was like, I've done this before. You can bring pen and paper in the clean room. And I brought cameras and stuff. You know what I mean? It was weird. She took away all my stuff and told me that I couldn't use anything in there. And I'm like, then why am I going in there? You know, it just didn't make sense. And then I got in there and all my white colleagues had all their stuff. Oh, my goodness. So that one I had to complain. I sent emails and I think other people complained about her lack of professionalism in general. And she was like demoted or something. She was gone very soon. And the one big thing that happened, which, you know, I I, I feel like the need to talk about this because and I've never really told anyone about this except my close friends that I work with. But during the Falcon Heavy launch, I put in a request to get comment from Elon Musk. Now, I've been working at the press site for five years. I've covered more SpaceX launches than most reporters. I lost count. I've been there. I dug in. Yeah, I worked at Popular Mechanics, Popular Science, uh, Wired Magazine and the New York Observer, you know, and I was doing BBC like once every two weeks. So I was like, okay, you know, maybe it's time for me to get a a one on one with him after Mm -hmm. working all these years. And I put in a request with SpaceX's comms director, who is no longer there. And Mm -hmm. this doesn't reflect the company itself because the company has actually given me more access or at least worked with me on things than any other company. And I feel like if any company out there was showing me that they're trying to at least like help me have a voice, it was SpaceX. So what I'm saying now does not reflect on the company at all because I've actually had a really great experience working with them and it continues to be great. But I want to say that the comms director at the time told me that he was not doing this. Elon was not doing this. He's not doing one-on-ones. And then, of course, two of my white colleagues were pushed to the front of the line, given that time, given that excess. And while they're both really great journalists, I have more time at Kennedy. I, and that doesn't like matter, but like I slept in my car. I slept on people's couches for like two years. I didn't make any money at Wired Magazine. I didn't make any money doing any of that stuff. Right. I put in time and I did the reporting. Yes, some of that reporting was good. Some of it was bad. Some of it challenged what SpaceX was doing. Some of it praised them. That's what journalism mm-hmm. is. Exactly. And there's no way to measure which journalist deserves what. You know what I mean? But yeah. I think at the very least, if I show up and I put and I and I'm there to do the work accurately with my eyes on the ball, that you would give me five minutes with your CEO. Really? But that has never happened. And like mm-hmm. I never complained about it, and I'm not complaining now, but I'm showing you how people and institutional racism doesn't have to be forefront for you need to know or for you to know that it exists or not. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like I work in an entirely white industry, the media industry. If I'm there for a couple of years and I, I, all I ask for is five minutes, one-on-one to get a photo and an interview, why am I left out of that? And two of my white colleagues put forward in that. Right. Why? You know, who gets to determine who is worth, who is worth what? 
you know? And of course that person was, of course the person that made that decision was white. Of course the two reporters that got put up to do that were white. But if I say that, if I said that at the time, you know what they would say? They would say, oh, you're, you're reading too much into it. You're angry. That's what they would say. Exactly. So from now on, we are going to be upfront and blunt about everything. Good. Every microaggression, every decision that's made in this industry that seems like that it has a hint of racism, because it probably does, it will be unpacked. It I will be it. looked at and it will be examined because that is the new world that we're entering. Yes. You know what I mean? And I just being a person of color is one thing. Right. But I need to reiterate that being a black person in America is a different thing. I have to say that it is far, far worse. I'm Indian. And in the Indian community, there is racist. Light-skinned Indians are racist against dark-skinned Indians. You know what I mean? It's just there's racism everywhere. But what Black Americans face in this country from an institutional level, from a justice level, from (laughs) even entertainment, you face barriers that everyone else does not. And it's time that we talk about this every day. Yeah, I totally agree. I really appreciate your can your you just being very candid about that because well, we, we have to be. You know, I think I agree. It like it's, and it, 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 I feel like it's the microaggressions and and the things that don't seem very forefront racist. Those are the things that kind of hold us back. I think people think there's only a problem. If it's like extremely racist and they forget that there are so many other things that that, you know, hold us back, especially when we're talking about institutional racism and systemic Mm -hmm. racism, that these things are founded on racist policies and racist foundations. And that in and of itself are very detrimental to black people specifically due to the history of this country. It's it's absolutely insane. Like even looking at kind of the police department and how they were, they used to be slave patrols and they kind of got rebranded. Like that is inherently racist. Like there's no reform that can happen there. (laughs) (laughs) It's and and when they say Naya, not everything is about racism. Yes, Uh it is. When your country is built on top of the principles of racism, it exists everywhere. It permeates everything. That's why we are on a space podcast talking about this. It permeates everything. Let's exactly. settle that, right? It's, it's in the DNA and like in the way we we kind of go about reform and, and not even just police reform, reform and like, or just kind of changing the policies and, and, and trying to do the, this performative allyship when it comes to speaking out about this thing with these companies that is is not going to be what changes things either. Like there, like we said, there needs to be actual action. Like otherwise, you're just kind of putting a band aid on a gunshot wound. Right. It, you're not getting to the root cause of what the issue is. And I gotta say that definitely applies to universities as well. Like that especially applies there because academia is not made to to help Black people succeed. Period. It's it's not because I think that was kind of one of the rudest awakenings that I realized like, going into school was how subjective everything can be and is. And when I did try to report <laughs> a professor, right. I was told he pretty much has autonomy. And I was like, huh? Like <laughs> right. he can do whatever he wants. And in that in and of itself, if that man has any unconscious bias, right. he can affect my future. 
And so, um, yeah, I just want to make sure that like I drove that point home too, just about how deeply rooted all of this is. If your institution does not have the ability to protect the individuals of that institution, that you are not an institution. (laughs) It's not, you know what I mean? And and I feel like you think of places like Yale and Harvard and companies like the New York Times. And you think about the years and years of not acknowledging this problem. Right. And we think about 2020. Now, my personal opinion is that I, yes, I'm really happy to see all the allyship and all the voices being heard. And some right. folks are really doing the, what they can to pass the mic. And some are taking leadership at their own companies. Right. But I'm also seeing a disease and a pandemic mm-hmm. That predominantly affects brown and black people and Hispanics. Right. And I also see the same white people who are being vocal outside, not protecting themselves and others. I see a society speaking up for the people of color finally, but I also don't see them doing their part to protect us against COVID, which is predominantly (laughs) killing us. Yes. So there's this huge I don't know. know, It's something we need to talk about, (laughs) I think, because, yes, I'm glad that you guys are being vocal and even visible. But like, let's put, you know, foot to ass when it comes to stopping COVID-19 as well. One, you know, thing that was kind of isolating for me was I, you know, like I said, we're a close community. My family lost a couple of people to COVID-19, two close family members, two distant ones. And it was hard for me to talk to my friends in the space industry about it. Because none, I don't know any else, maybe minus one, where folks lost people to COVID. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's pre- the metric is pretty obvious. Yes, I'm one of the few people of color standing around here. And yes, I happen to have lost two close family members to COVID-19. And I think the racial disparity in when it comes to that pandemic, it's not the virus choosing us. It's the right. where we live. It's the our access yeah. to healthcare. It's decades of not having the same access to medicine as white people. It's yes. it's institutional racism that is killing us, not the virus itself. Um, and I want to make that clear as well. Absolutely. Naya, I didn't, I wanted to have you on this show under better circumstances. And I know that I will have you on again to talk about space exploration a little yes. bit better. <laughs> Thank you for having this conversation with me. And I think to close this out, I do want to talk, you do threads about everything on Twitter and they're always amazing. And now you're on TikTok, which I don't fully understand yet, but I'm getting there. I'm like, (laughs) I'm getting there. I'm enjoying what I'm seeing. I love the space content on TikTok. There's so much stuff. Yeah. But I rarely do this, but you, you seem to be engaged on all things space in some form on Twitter and just with your brand on social media, which I love Bugatti spaceships. That's on Twitter, right? (laughs) Now, if you don't know that reference, it's from Black Panther, one of, you know, an amazing movie. You have not seen it. Shout out to Disney. Um, yes. But let me talk about random. I'm going to bring up random topics in space exploration. You give sure. me your take. Good, bad, whatever. Excited, okay. not excited. Let's. OK, I want to start with Crew Dragon DM2 because I and give me your honest take. Was it? Such horrible timing to have two white male astronauts <laughs> on a mission. Like, it was damn. Pretty sad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It 
it definitely wasn't like the greatest time. Like I definitely respect both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, they have great experience. I can see why they were chosen, right. but I think a lot of people were kind of branding it as like, oh my gosh, they're leading us in, into the next age of yeah. space exploration. And tone I'm like, down. tone it down, tone it down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like everybody tone it down. Yeah. I have to agree with you. It was awkward. And it was awkward for NASA because like at least SpaceX put a black woman on their webcast. Yes. He's awesome. Yeah. Lauren she's, she's amazing. <laughs> Shout out to her for doing an amazing job during that webcast. All right. Let's move beyond that. Cause it's awkward. <laughs> let's talk about what is your thoughts on the James Webb space telescope? Oh my gosh. I haven't seen too much of an update, but Nobody. except exactly. that it's been delayed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only update we get. Yeah. Yep, the thoughts and prayers to the James Webb telescope. Yes, yes. Uh, one of my good friends is on that team. Thaddeus, I'm sorry. We know you're launching soon. Right, very soon. We, we know what your feelings on the moon is. Do you think the moon is, a, people are saying, oh yeah, that's our like leap pad to Mars. That's our, is that what it is? Do you think the moon will get us to Mars in a safe, reasonable time? Do you think it's a good stopover? You know what? I honestly, I, I've had this question before. And again, like my, my motivation to go to the moon is purely like selfish. Like I just love right. the moon. Is it necessary? So I know that probably talking about deep space gateway and, and mm-hmm. how that's kind of like our slingshot. Right. To me, I think definitely getting a lot more com- comfortable, familiar with the risks and challenges of, of establishing an actual base on the moon would right. be super beneficial, especially since we don't, we, we know a lot more about the moon than we do other planetary bodies. And so when we're going to, and, and I am hesitant to use the word settle, but right. to settle there and, and establish any type of base and do in-space manufacturing, I think it's a great, you know, stepping point. Is it fully necessary? I don't really, I, I don't feel like I'm like well-informed to, to speak on whether or not it's super necessary, but I, I definitely don't think it's a waste of time. So... There's always more to discover about the moon. The Indians spotted water there just a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> so we have plenty, plenty to, to keep looking at. Do you think we should be putting more resources behind looking for intelligent civilizations out there? What are your thoughts on aliens? Uh, okay. I'm definitely not one of those people who doesn't believe in them. Like, right. I just think this we're, it's just too big for us to be the only ones. I almost think it's a little selfish to assume that, you know. Right. We're the only ones inhabiting. It's kind of self-centered to if, if, if you go to the beach and every grain of sand is a galaxy, and you're right. like, "Nah, we're the only ones." That is a pretty ignorant thing to. I'm sorry, I have to use the word ignorant because I believe in aliens, and I and uh, for people who are like, "Oh, we don't know." What do you mean you don't know? There's like a trillion stars out there. Like that's like being on an island outside the coast of Australia 300 years ago and be like, "There's no one out there." Right. There's nobody else out there. You know, it's I'm sorry, that's just me. That I think our community knows already that when it comes to aliens, I'm gonna be pretty vocal. Yeah. Okay. So we're on the same page here. There's definitely aliens out there somewhere at some time. Exactly. <laughs> now, if you this this question will get you in trouble, but okay. if you could fly on any spaceship right now that's operable mm-hmm. in the industry, private public. Mm-hmm. Which one would be the first one you'd fly on? Honestly, because of the successful launch and because of how freaking awesome it looks inside, DM2. Oh, yeah. So you'd fly on Dragon. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sexy in there. Like, yeah. it was 
I was yeah. like thoroughly. Yeah, the DM two dragon was a beautiful. They call it the Endeavor now. Oh the wow! Dragon ship, it yeah. So that is a luxurious way to travel. And yes, I I think I have to agree with you that I would fly on dragon as well. It's very nice, and it works. That's what's important too. <laughs> That's the important part. Like yeah, right. it has to looking good. Like hey, Bugatti spaceships. Exactly. The spaceship's got to look good, but it also has to work. Yeah. Since, I, you know, I'm a Marvel nerd and obviously you've seen Black Panther. We get to like, what, are, what was your thought on that movie? Oh, man, it was incredible. I just think, I mean, it, it was so well put together, like from in every aspect. I thought there was there was everything. Like it had all the humor. It had the, all the technology. Like I absolutely adored seeing Shuri leading the technological. She kind of she did and i enjoy her for it (laughs) and i mean i just i can't imagine how many young young black girls that inspired just just seeing her right she played that role so well like i I really believed everything about the maglev trains that she said and so so oh so you must have really saw yourself in that character because she's an electrical engineer person too right right among other things but she's like everything she's everything (laughs) She's a character in the Marvel Universe. That's all you need to know. Are you seeing, just even going beyond space, like, where, how are you feeling hopeful right now? Are you, do you think that the tide is turning here? Does this, does this movement seem to be having impact? It definitely seems to be having impact. I'm only nervous that the whole trending thing, I'm nervous that with how how things typically go, Mm -hmm. they trend for some time and then, they kind of lose traction. I, I know the black community will keep fighting. I'm only worried about some of those. The allyship. Exactly. Right. That will lose fuel because it was so performative and not really based on anything, you know, steady. So we'll see. One thing that I'm worried about is, you know, is the conversation. I need. We need the conversation to happen every week, every day. Yeah. It needs to be omnipresent and you know how we were talking about climate change finally every day like for a minute we were like finally talking about it all the time we need to talk about that every day probably in the morning and then like the rest of the day we need to talk about this (laughs) it's just that's and that's exactly what you said is right now it's like we this conference this can't be a movement this has to be life this has to be normalcy this you know this conversation needs to be at the highest level of our lives especially at this moment you know, and it has to eventually become a normal thing that we talk about in schools, at our jobs, in space exploration. Yes. You know, been- you know, it was kind of embarrassing, Naya, at Kennedy Space Center for DM2. Mm-hmm. NASA couldn't talk about that, what was going on in the country and affecting everyone and like ev- the thing that was on everyone's minds. They had the live stream. They had everything going on. You know, obviously it's NASA and SpaceX. It's that that. Right what's going on there. It took Donald Trump and Pence to come on stage at Kennedy and, and, and say George Floyd's name. And you know what I mean? It was such a, uh, like a, ba- I don't even know how to describe it, it was, but space exploration is always weird. It's, it's, it's weird. just, it's a weird thing. This whole setup, the whole scene there. It, it, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I'm like yeah. kind of waiting for a new administration. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just like, you know, I feel like like I told you earlier in this podcast that one of the first things that we noticed when Trump came in was right. nationalism was already it was like, hey, they flipped on a nationalism switch. 
And, yeah. and I'm sorry to say, nationalism is it's the brother of white supremacy. Same. You know what I mean? It's just, I see them as the same thing. And yeah. what I saw from NASA and what I've been seeing from NASA these last couple of years is a lot of nationalism. Mm. That's borderline racist sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. I think that the Donald Trump and Pence and being at DM2, I don't know how history will look back at that. Maybe it's too early. But when people look back at this moment in time, 2020, mm-hmm. they can't look beyond COVID and beyond the struggle of Black Americans. There's right. not going to be DM2 is not going to be in that list. No, it's not. And I'm sorry to say, as much as I love space, as much as I care about progress that SpaceX is making, when people look back at this moment, they are going to only see two things. And when they do see NASA in the picture, it'll be a negative in the negative light. Let's face it. Honestly. And and I know that that's kind of one of the things I discussed, because I remember kind of, you know, the administrator talking about how the whole unity aspect and I already told you that's something I believe space can do. Right. But it, it was clear that we were not unified on the ground. Not at all. Oh, <laughs> at my goodness. All. No. It, it was like almost complete polar opposite. And, and it was kind of, it's almost crazy how, uh, how much it mirrors the civil rights movement in the Apollo days. Almost and exactly mirrored it. It was that scary. It was scary. And let, let's face it. Uh, come on. It's 2020. We should not... Yes. Be doing this. We should not be going through this again. You know, like people, it's, it's crazy. And and when I, when I first saw that called out the civil rights era, I was like, wow, right. That it's, it matches so closely. It's terrifying because we're supposed to be in the future. Now supposed to be the future. Exactly. I think Charlie Bolden said it too. Like, you know, we've uh, Charlie Bolden or Leland Melvin, I don't want to misquote, but you know, one of them said, you know, we just did one of the most techni- technologically advanced things in this country and we still can't figure out, you know, getting rid of racism. <laughs> right, right. It's it's super it's unbelievable. Uh, I'll criticize the industry for being behind on space exploration because I'm sorry, but we are. We went to yeah. the moon 50 years ago, but I will criticize the industry more. For pretending to be progressive and for for spaces for everyone, but we'll make it for everyone then. Exactly. You know, Don't that's you- what needs to be done now. And Naya, I really thank you for being on this <laughs> podcast and talking with me. I really enjoy your Twitter feed. It's the most entertaining Twitter feed we have in the space community right now, except when they blow shit up at SpaceX. Right. Um, <laughs> so in between them blowing stuff up, I um, love watching your TikToks. And oh, you. you did a really great explainer about small sats uh which i love thank you and i hope that we can continue having you on our podcast and and we'll find more ways to collaborate so if you're listening naya is going to definitely be working with supercluster on a couple things in the future and uh, we're excited to explore those ideas so am i thank you (laughs) all right naya we will catch up with you soon all right sounds good